you would stand as we pay honor to the reading of God's word together tonight. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Uh, this is God's word to his people. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word to his people. What we're praying tonight is that he would write its eternal truth onto our hearts. Let's pray together this evening. Father God, we come before you tonight as people who are sinners and desperately in need of your grace. We come as people who are deserving of wrath, but instead you sent your son to die for us and take the wrath that we deserve. So, Father, as we think about even our country tonight, it's hurting, it's sick, angry, and tired. In the midst of all of these emotions, people are turning everywhere for the wrong answer to the problems. Even the church seems to be turning to the wrong answers. Tonight, we will be reminded of what the right answer is, so help us as a generation of younger Christians to be prophetic about the right things. Give us the courage to stand and point people to the only way to experience life during their lives here on this earth. Help us and remind us of whose we are, who goes before us and behind us, and whose authority, authority we operate under. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Just because something is old does not mean it's out of date or irrelevant. Just because something's old does not mean necessarily that it is out of date or irrelevant. And normally that would get a much uh, greater response, maybe with an older crowd. You know, we live in a world that experiences a lot of change. Consider the changes that have taken place in the last 50 years. Let's just start at 50 years. Uh, virtually no one now has a home phone, a landline. Even to say landline can be confusing to people. Uh, no one has a home phone right now for the most part. But 50 years ago, outside of telegrams and mail and pay phones, the home phone was a fought over staple. When you think about adding phones now to our phone contracts, 50 years ago, the conversation would have been adding lines. And thinking about this concept of a party line, which I don't even understand how that works because I'm not that old. I just have heard of such things. They existed and were somewhat necessary. Now think about this. Consider the fact that if you go back 26 years from today, these things did not exist. Craigslist. Match.com, Amazon, and eBay. None of those things existed. You're like, okay. Outside of Amazon and eBay, and maybe a few of you, Match.com, I, I just think we, we can get by without those things. Amazon, though, I mean, realistically, I mean, right now, if you're thinking about it, Amazon has got it put on a wish list for you so that you're ready to buy it when you leave. Now, let's think about in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, 10 years ago, if you went back 10 years from today, 
a little bit more longer actually, but 10 years, there was no such thing as an iPad. All of you that post pictures of the uh, food that you eat and the things that you do and the vacations that you go on or look longingly at what other people do in, in the world of Instagram did not exist. 10 years ago, Instagram w was not even around. Snapchat was not around 10 years ago. Some of you, that to you is more detrimental than uh, Amazon or eBay uh, not being around. If Snapchat were to go away, you wouldn't feel like, man, I'm con connected. Uh, the Avengers movies didn't exist. No Avengers. Ten years ago, we didn't have the Avengers. That's not good. We had Iron Man. We had Captain America. But the gang wasn't all together yet. So, so ten years ago, we didn't have that. And then Venmo. I know there's some of you are like debit cards, checks, those types of things. We don't know how to exist without Venmo. So we live in a world that is constantly changing, and it's easy to think that we can survive with these things. But the interesting point is, and this is what I find most interesting about all of what I just mentioned, is that there are people in our church, because we only went back 50 years, there are people in our church who know what it is to exist without any of those things and much more. They didn't have those things and they managed to survive and thrive. Now, we live in a world that seems to say we need to be changing constantly and to stick with something old just doesn't seem to be worth it. And sometimes this happens inside of the church. The church can feel old. It can feel tired. It can feel like it's burnt out. Does this mean we need to change with the times? I think no one in here is going to answer, yes, we need to change with the times. But I am hearing more and more and reading more and more where people seem to be subtly suggesting that we might need to change things in the life of the church. And I would agree with you if we were going to ask the questions, does this mean we need a new strategy for 2021 if we want to reach people with the gospel? I think the basic answer to that question is no. I, I, while the method or the strategy might change, and why, while we might come up with different avenues and programs for advancing the gospel, uh, the, the baseline core prob or issue stays the same. The trouble, though, and this is a trouble that comes for every generation, the trouble comes when we start to allow that vision to be slightly altered or changed because we have forgotten what it is. And can I just kindly say, in light of events just even as recent as today, the American church is at a crossroads where it's going to have to make a decision about if they're going to be prophetic about Christ things or prophetic about cultural things. And while it's really easy to point our finger at whoever it seems to be that is veering from the mission, the issue is not whether or not these people are veering from the mission as opposed to those people. It's why are people in general who are supposed Christians veering from the mission that they've been called to? And the answer that I think we have to answer that question with is because they've allowed the vision to be corrupted, pulled off path. So, Tonight, I want us to see the vision that Jesus gives to the apostles and disciples for the church another time. You might say, dude, I've heard 
so many sermons on the Great Commission, I think I might vomit. Okay, if that's you, just make your way to the exit. You can vomit and then come back. Because my desire tonight is that by seeing the Great Commission once more and hearing it again, we would be energized to get back to that vision as a college ministry and be passionate as a college ministry, which I think bleeds into the life of the church about seeing it fulfilled. And in order to do this, I want to hang our thoughts on three uh, ideas. Number one, authority. Authority. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Before we are told what our objective is tonight, Jesus Christ makes it clear who holds the power and the authority for Christians to accomplish the vision that Christ has for his followers. The authority that they will have, Christians will have, is uniquely located in Jesus himself. He says, Jesus says, all authority, all authority relates to and directly points to Jesus' divine status. Jesus did not give a command as someone who is operating from a position of supreme authority over merely earth either. Look what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus gives commands as someone who has supreme authority over everything. Abraham Kuyper would say there's not one square inch in the whole existence of this universe where Jesus Christ does not declare mine. And we need to be reminded of that tonight. We need to be reminded of what happened to the centurion. Matthew 27, 54, uh, just a few verses up above this uh, claim that Jesus is making. When the centurion and those who are with him kneeling uh, or keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. This Jesus, his authority is sovereignly comprehensive. This authority that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, is what will go with us as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission. Had a little bit more time. We were quarantined. Had to listen to a few more podcasts than I normally get to. Um, Maybe. If we had been traveling, I still would have probably. But I was recently listening to a podcast where Randy Newman was being interviewed on evangelism. And he was asked what was one thing that he would like listeners to know or understand about the evangelism process. And I, I think this is important for us to hear. So I want you to listen closely to what he said. He said, well, remember, it's a supernatural process. So it's not just two people talking to each other. It's two people talking to each other under the sovereignty of God. So when we go out to fulfill the vision that Christ has for the church, we're operating under someone who has sovereign authority. We need to be reminded before we go any further, because our tendency is to get into the Great Commission, to talk about making disciples, baptizing, teaching, all of those things, going. We need to cover all of those things. And I want us to stop and just say time out before we go any further. When you go out tomorrow or even tonight to have a meal together, and even the conversations that you will have, 
all of them operate under the, sub, the, the sovereign, comprehensive authority of Jesus Christ. And so when you're nervous about sharing the gospel, when you're nervous about trying to fulfill the Great Commission, when you're nervous about speaking of Jesus, two encouragements. Number one, even the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, gets nervous about sharing the gospel. He talks about being weak and, and not having strong words and struggling. And two, you operate tonight under comprehensive, overarching, power-seeking, sovereign Christ who is operating and working in and through you to accomplish the Great Commission. So we need to see first tonight authority. And then number two, we need to see the Great Commission, or I would put it this way, a Great Commission. Verse 19, leading into verse 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is our vision. This is our commissioning call. This is why the church exists. This is the task that we're commissioned to do. If we were to hang the mission of the church on a large sign, right? If we we're going to hang what we exist for, if we we're going to put it in front of people, it would read with the words that are found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Functionally, the mission of the church is to make disciples. Now, I know that the name and the illustration that I'm about to provide here is functional heresy in an area that is uh, surrounded by, imbibed with, overarching with uh, Kansas City Chiefs fans. So just bear with me and allow me to make this illustration and then we'll move on and you can forgive me later. The, the infamous coach, Bill Belichick, when he coached in Cleveland and in New England, what was most famous about their office facility was the lack of motivational posters that often accompanied sports offices. Like, be the best you can be, and, you know, we'll all get through this together if you're in Cleveland. Uh, you know, all of those inspirational. He came to both of those facilities and took down every motivational pic picture sign and poster and he put up one one that was there in cleveland and now one that is in new england and it reads simply this do your job you want motivation there it is do your job you need help getting up in the morning do your job you hate being in cleveland on the cleveland browns do your job Either get fired or traded. You got one option. And I think that's so reson resonated with me because I think the church gets pulled in all these different directions. And if we were going to hang one sign simply in front of people, it would say this, make disciples. This admonition is not to make converts, grow larger churches, have large ministries, but to make disciples. If you said, David, what's your goal with the college ministry? Make disciples. Do you want to have 60 students? Do you want to have 150 students? Do you want to have 800 students? I, 
I, I want to make disciples. Dan Doriani is very helpful here. He says, to make disciples is to lead new believers to maturity so they understand and follow Jesus and eventually become leaders too. By making disciples, the church stays strong over the generations. You need to make disciples while being made a disciple if you want to truly fulfill the Great Commission. And if you are in Christ, your desire should be to fulfill the Great Commission, just by the way. I think there are a lot of Christians who are very comfortable with the idea of not having to fulfill the Great Commission. They think that that's somebody else's responsibility. Jesus does, I mean, look in the footnotes. I promise you, it's not there. Jesus did not say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Footnote. Then you go to the bottom of the page and you read, only if you're a pastor, missionary, or evangelist. There's no qualification. Jesus does not care if you dig ditches, if you are a teller at a bank, if you're an accountant, a lawyer, a school teacher, if you mine for Bitcoin, or you're called to ministry, Jesus says your commissioning call is to make disciples. There are no exceptions. So how will the disciples be made? Well, it's really functionally a three-step process. I love the, the New Testament a lot of times because these guys operate in threes, and that's just how I think, so I'm just thankful for it. Number one, going. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Christians are no longer to serve as a light, think about the nation of Israel serving as a light to the nations around them, but they are to take the light of the gospel to those around them, both near and far. Near and far. How do you, you say, how do you know that it's near and far? Well, the commission is to, the commission to go here, he says, and make disciples, panta ta ethne. You're like, that's not what it says in my Bible. Right, because it's in English. Disciples of all the nations, panta ta ethne. If, you're, if, if I were brave enough to get a tattoo, it might be this. If I wasn't allergic to pain, panta ta ethne. Go to all the nations. This commissioning is one that sends people to all the nations with the intent to make disciples. Sabidion Mobile says, from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe, Christians are sent to make disciples. We don't just send people to send people, by the way. Because I think sometimes people are like, going, I'll just go. You're not just going to go. We're not sending you as a vacationary. We're not taking you so you can get your passport stamped. If you want to do that, waste your life and your money trying to country hop through Europe by all means, do it. But don't go as somebody who's a missionary who's just there to take cute pictures, post them on Instagram, and tell nobody about Jesus. We don't send people just to send them. We send them with the intention that they will make disciples wherever they find themselves. That starts with making disciples where you are. Because of this fundamental truth, Christians are sent everywhere. Sometimes we narrow this text too much. We can begin to think that this text is for people called the global missions. They're going to do this vocationally. But that view is way too limiting and not provided for us in the text. This is what a lot of people do. Somebody opens up Matthew 28 and says, I'm going to preach a sermon from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And half the congregation zones out because they're like, I'm not called to global missions. 
Everywhere Christians go, they are under a commission to make disciples. It doesn't matter. Whether you're going to Walmart tonight on the north, south, east, or west side of Springfield, or whether you're going to, I'm assuming that there must be a Walmart in Dubai, in the UAE, you're called to make disciples. I've had the privilege now of working with college students for the last eight years, either at Bible colleges, the Bible college, or here at our church. And I've seen many students, honestly, and I'm not trying to cap anybody tonight, so if this feels like I'm personally attacking you, I promise you I'm not. I don't have you in my mind. I always feel like I have to say this when I make pointed statements like I'm about to make. I, I can tell you in the last eight years, I've seen many students who have expressed what I would characterize as a seemingly genuine uh, call to full-time vocational work in global missions, while at the same time never or rarely seeking to make disciples in the context in which they currently were placed. I'm called to do global missions, David, but I'm not sharing the gospel with anybody around here. This is confusing and wrong on so many levels. So I would get myself into a class chapels or teaching at the, the Bible college or even what I'm about to say right now, and it seemed to be helpful at some level, so I'm going to express it once again. Why, if you feel that God has called you to global missions and you are not sharing the gospel with people you're around, you're not trying to make disciples, you're not trying to help disciple people in the context of your local church, you're not sharing the gospel with anybody around you, you're not plugged in and involved in the life of the local church, I would ask this question. Why would any of you expect people to give you money to go overseas and not share the gospel there? If you don't do it here... Why do you think a location change is going to help? You think that suddenly if we just put you in the middle of a hostile culture and context, you're just going to suddenly share the gospel? If you won't share the gospel here, I can't smuggle you into Morocco. This is, I, I'm so thankful Paul, I wish Paul was in here so I could make fun of him. He was so scared to take me to Morocco because he was fearful that the two of us might get trapped there and leave a large group of college students stranded in Spain. And, and now that I'm older and have a child, I understand that he actually wasn't dumb. He was actually pretty bright. You think that if we just drop you in Morocco, you're going to suddenly steal up the courage to share the gospel? We won't share the gospel in a context where you can talk about Jesus freely. We're going to put you in a hostile environment and suddenly you're going to share Jesus. What's really funny about this, though, is that some of you nodding your head along or seeming to agree with what I'm saying here, but you're not called to vocational global missions. The question you have to ask yourself is, what is keeping you from making disciples here? It's really easy to cap the person who says, I'm called to global missions and I'm making disciples. Well, what's your excuse? Because you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. As far as you can tell, the Lord is keeping you here. You're going to school here. You're living here. You have a job here. And you're not moving. What is keeping you from making disciples? Your college students tell me all the time, well, I'm just in college for a short season of life. Like, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to plug down roots. I'm going to move. Four years, some of you five, six, seven. 
you know, you're on the eight-year track. Hey, the Lord blesses all of those things. You don't get an excuse. You don't get to get, oh, my marriage to God. This is not really for me. It's more for that guy. So we have to go. Then we baptize. Jesus says, looking back at verse uh, number uh, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is this first initiation into a community of Christ followers, and it communicates your identification with Christ, a willingness to submit to God's instruction, and a heart of obedience towards the Lord. All of those things. But it's more than that. You do realize when he says baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this is a Trinitarian invitation. It's an experience that brings us into unity and community with the triune Godhead. J.C. Ryle said it like this. The plain practical lesson of the words is the necessity of a public confession of faith in Christ. It is not enough to be a secret disciple. We must not be ashamed to let men see whose we are and whom we serve. We must not behave as if we did not like to be thought Christians, but take up our cross and confess our master before the world. I think there are a lot of people who fall in the category of 18 to 35 who are trying to be Christ followers on Sunday, but Monday through Friday are acting as though, hey, I, you know, I just go to that, that, that Jesus thing because it's a thing to do. So to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and not follow by being baptized is to not follow and submit to the commissioning call that Christ puts on Christians. So I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know if you grew up in a context where you got baptized as part of your, your infancy or confirmation, but the New Testament is pretty clear on this. You, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and you follow the Lord in believer's baptism as you publicly express and identify your relationship with Christ. And if you have not done that, you're not even fulfilling the Great Commission in your own life. Again, I'm going to ask you, as Robbie Gowdy would say, how are you going to take somebody where you haven't been yourself? You need to get baptized. You followed Christ. Well, have you been baptized? Well, I was baptized as a baby. Eh, no, like, wrong, bro. You don't get to tell people, like, you got to go up and get baptized, but I haven't been baptized. So that's, if you think about this as a threefold step, we have going, going and making disciples, make disciples, we see them gloriously converted, they're baptized, and then Jesus says, teaching. Teach them everything that I've taught you. We're called to be taught. So think, a lot of times we think about fulfilling the Great Commission as seeing other people come to know Christ. And that's not wrong, but it is limiting to not see ourselves as being fulfilled in the Great Commission. As we are taught and teach all that Jesus taught. So that's what Jesus said. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Now, there are some people who are like, okay, so we'll get it. I'm just going to really focus on the red letters of Jesus. Call themselves red-letter Christians. We're going to focus on that stuff. No, no, nope, doesn't work that way. Luke 24, 27 says, And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus says, you want to know about me? Let's just start with Moses. You got to think, we're walking down a road, and Jesus is like, I'm going to start a sermon. You're like, this is going to be wonderful. He's like, and I'd like you to take your copy of 
your Bible that doesn't exist at this moment, metaphorically, and open to Genesis. Oh, okay. Sermon series in Genesis. You're walking, and he moves from Genesis. Now we're in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges, Ruth, first Samuel, second Samuel, first Kings, second Kings, first Chronicles, second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And you're like, okay, we got the major prophet, Lamentations. And as he's going, he's saying, and this is about me, and this is about me, and this is about me. So learning all of what the scriptures has to say is to submit ourselves to understand that all of the Bible is about and pointing us to Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, and there's a gender neutral word, not a man and a woman, but men meaning people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this teaching is focused on learning and proclaiming the whole counsel of the word of God. That's what we're going to do in here, just FYI, you may be new. We're going to do the whole counsel of God's word. So we did Habakkuk. Some of you were here when we did Hosea. You thought that would never end. We did Colossians. We did some of this stuff. We're doing that stuff. This means teaching and learning from a variety of types of scripture and different angles of scripture. That's why we're going to do six weeks in evangelism. You're like, you're supposed to go expositionally. We are going to go expositionally through text on evangelism because we need to be motivated to share the gospel. Okay, so we see first authority. We see second, a great commission. And then number three, we see presence, his presence, Jesus' presence. He, he bookends this. Notice what Jesus does. He gives us a commissioning call, but he bookends it with two important facts. Number one, uh, you go under my authority, and, and then here's the commission. Here's the back bookend. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is the Christian's comfort as they seek to fulfill this great commission? Namely, that Jesus Christ, whose authority Christians operate under, will be with them through it all. Jesus does not leave us to ourselves to fulfill the great commission. For we could not do that even on the best of our days. You, you can't, in the best of your days, in your own power, in your own strength, in your own self, fulfill the great commission. Rather, he is present. Christ is present with us and sustaining us through our efforts to fulfill the commission. Leon Morris. I love anybody who's named Leon. I, we're giving away a book, uh, by the way, uh, for My World, My Mission. The, the guy's name is Rico Tice. I'm just finding all these guys with sweet names. I, I was born in, in the late 80s, early 90s. Everybody was named David. I went to BBC. In the years I was at BBC, like 83 people were named David. Nobody was named Leon, and nobody was named Rico. So I'm just trying to find you guys, the people with the cool names. Leon Morris helps us to understand this idea when he says, when Matthew draws his gospel to its close, he has nothing in the way of an ascension account. He's not talking about, oh, we're looking up and watching, and then the angels are like, what are you guys doing? No, Matthew doesn't do that. He emphasizes the importance of Jesus' continuing present, presence and concludes his gospel with this magnificent assurance. That Jesus will be present and that he will never be withdrawn. He may be away physically, but he will be with them always to the end of the world and to the end of time. So when I go out to fulfill the Great Commission, I may get nervous and I may worry. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I get nervous and worried and don't share the gospel enough because I get timid. And I'm like, I don't want people to reject me or to not like me. And I may worry that I'm not going to do it properly, but I need not to feel this way. 
because the Lord is guiding my steps and helping me along the way. I'm operating under his authority, and he's with me. He's with me. We go back to the Anglican J.C. Ryle. He says, let us go on believing and not be afraid. It is everything to be a real Christian. None have such a king, such a priest, such a constant companion, and such an unfailing friend as the true servants of Christ. You've got Jesus Christ with you. So you might be sitting here, right? You've heard this now. Authority, a great commission, and a presence. And you might say, okay, but, but what now? Well, here are a few takeaways for you, just real quickly. Three big takeaways I think we need to have. And number one, in order to fulfill the Great Commission, you must be a Christ follower. I don't want to make the assumption tonight, we make this assumption all the time, that just by your mere presence here, that you are a Christian. If you're here and you know nothing of Christ, you couldn't be more excited that you're here. But it's impossible to do what we're talking about tonight unless you have the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit He's reigning and ruling in you, and that may even be confusing to you tonight. But if you do not have Christ, it is going to be impossible to fulfill the Great Commission. So in order to fulfill the Great Commission, you must be a Christ follower. Number two, in order to fulfill the Great Commission, you must rely on the right power source. Quit trying to do it in your own power. Quit trying to see your friends converted in your own power. Quit trying to be winsome enough and funny enough and creative enough. Give them the gospel. Be tapped into the right power source and operating under that authority. And number three, in order to fulfill the Great Commission, you must be obedient. You must be. This is a call to obey. You know, it's it's easy tonight to look at others and assume it's their responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. The reality about our vision as Christ followers, the reality is that each and every one of us are called to live out the calling to make disciples. The question we are confronted with tonight, as we think about bringing this to a close, the question that we are confronted tonight with is as old as humanity is itself. Will we be obedient or disobedient to the commands of God? Some of you just started your Bible reading plan for the year. You went back to Genesis 1. This is the same question that confronts Adam and Eve. Am I going to be obedient or disobedient to the commands of God? Let's pray together this evening.